But I would encourage you, if you uh, want to follow along, to uh, uh, join, turn in your Bibles there to Genesis chapter 17. Be uh, looking at verses uh, 15 through 27 today. One of the things that we have seen over these past uh, several several weeks, as we've been looking at uh, the life of uh, Abraham, and and specifically here in uh, Genesis chapter 17, is uh, names. Names are so important. As chapter 16, uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar. Hagar is there crying and and wondering. You know, uh, she's running away from from uh, because of some of the things that happened back in, with uh, Sarai there, her her master. And Hagar is there at the well, and and the angel of the Lord comes and says, "You know, you're going to be you're pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. You are to name this son Ishmael." And then in this chapter, chapter 17, you have God uh, changing names and 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 revealing a new name uh, that we have here in all of Scripture. And so names in Scripture are so important. In fact, the, the culture of the, uh, the Jewish culture throughout the, all of Scripture and even uh, even today is you have this understanding that a, a name represents the person's uh, a character or 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 destiny. And so you uh, have uh, parents, you know, uh, watching the child and, and picking names because of of the meaning of those names. Nowadays, you people pick names for any other reason besides just the meaning. We, uh, when Marguerite and I, every time we've uh, uh, found out that um, that we're expecting, uh, it goes through that process. Okay, what are we going to? What name are we going to give our our son, or what name are we going to give our daughter? And we start looking at names. And we ask that question, what does the name mean? And then we ask the all more important question, what is the initials? And can kids pick on the person because of those initials? I'll give you an example. Uh, Lucas, uh, one of the names that we uh, had picked out was Gideon. He was almost Gideon until I wrote down the initials of G. His middle name is Andrew, and his last name, of course, is Stuart. And you have G-A-S. And I told Marguerite, there's no way we're going to be naming our kid Gideon, or he's going to be made, he's going to be called the gas man all, all throughout school. So, well, that, that's important to, to think about. Uh, and, and even more important is each one of our kids' names we are picked because of uh, what they mean. Names in the Bible, especially when God is changing their names, is important. And the Scriptures kind of give us that understanding. And so, as we've been going out through Genesis chapter 17, very quickly I want to just kind of run over some of these, uh, what we looked at, these new names of God. Uh, verses 1 through uh, 2, uh, God's new name. Is verse uh, there, as God comes to Abram at that time, his name is Abram before God changes his name. He is 99 years old. And so there's a 13-year gap between chapters 16 and 17. And so God comes to Abram. He's 99 years old, and he has this conversation with Abram. He has these promises that he's given to Abram. And here is now God reaffirming these promises because, again, it's chapter 17. Sarai tries to help God along and totally screws everything up. And so 13 years in the back of Abram's head is, are these promises that God gave us, are they still true? Can God still do this? 
And God comes to Abram at 99, appears, and he says this, I am Almighty God. Almighty God means this, that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. And this is the first time in the Bible that we see this name of God Almighty or Almighty God. And whenever this name is, is used throughout Scripture, it is always something referring to something's about to happen that's impossible. And that's what the Almighty God stands for, that God is all-powerful, that nothing is impossible for Him. He is the Almighty God. And as he comes to Abram and, and has this conversation and really reiterates these, these uh, promises of, you know, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have many descendants, as numerous as, as uh, in the previous promises, as numerous as the, the, the stars in the sky, as numerous as the dust on the earth. That's how many descendants are you going to have. I'm also going to give you the, your descendants this land, this promised land, the land of Canaan. And God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, and that's that in verse 5. God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means this. He's the father of many nations. The father of many nations. Verse 5, you no longer, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And at this point in time, Abram is thinking, okay, God, you're going to make me a father of many nations. I only have one son, Ishmael. And if you read the rest of Genesis, you realize that Ishmael himself becomes a mighty nation. You can look at the Genesis chapter 25 to read some of that understanding. But also you have God promising many nations, plural, that there's going to be many nations that come from him. And in fact, that's what you have. The rest of Genesis teaches that. You have Ishmael becoming his own nation. You have the, the Isaac, uh, who becomes, you know, the, the, the chosen uh, one that the descendants go down. Isaac gives birth to, not Isaac, but his wife, uh, Rebecca, gives birth to uh, two nations, uh, Esau and, and Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Esau becomes Edom. And so right there you have three nations. And of course, there's many other ones that come out of all those as well. And so God comes and says, you're no longer going to become called Abram, but you're going to be called Abraham, father of many nations. And so then all of a sudden, and starting in verse 15, that's where we want to kind of pick up the, the scene now. This is the same conversation that God is having with, with Abram, Abraham, uh, and he talks about Abraham's wife now, Sarai. As you remember, Sarai cannot have any kids. She is totally, uh, she is barren. Uh, she is past at this point in time. Abraham is 99 years old when this conversation is going on. Sarai is, is 89 years old when this conversation is going on. When was the last time you heard of an 89 year old woman giving birth? It's unheard of. Even modern day science can't do that. And that's why God says, I am God Almighty. I can, I am the God of the impossible. So here, here you have in verse uh, 15, and God said to Abraham, as for your, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but you shall call her name 
Sarah instead. And here in verse 16, God explains to, to um, Abraham what's going to happen to his wife Sarah. He says, I will bless. And again, as we've gone through uh, these, uh, starting in Genesis chapter 12 until now, you, we've seen this over and over again. Whenever God is coming to Abram or Abraham and, and talking, he is saying, I am going to do this for you. I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to cause your descendants to be great. I am going to give you this land that you're now a foreigner in. I am going to do this. And here, God is saying the same thing. I will bless Sarah. Jump down in the same verse later on. Same thing. I will bless her twice. God is saying this. Well, how is God going to bless Sarah? God is going to bless Sarai by giving her a son. God is going to bless Sarah by giving her a son. Verse 16, I will bless her and also give her a son, give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will be a, a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. So God is saying this, listen, humanly speaking, this can't happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give her a son. I am going to give her and allow her to be a mother of nations. And again, it's plural there. A mother of nations, and not just nations, but kings will also come from her. And the reason why God changes Sarai's name to Sarah is because the name Sarah means princess. The name Sarah with an H means princess. And so you have God basically saying, listen, she's going to be a princess and there's going to be kings and princes that are born from her. She's going to be, uh, uh, right now, she can't have any kids, but I'm going to give her the ability to, to have a child, and she, that child's going to be, have many nations come from him. The kings of people are going to come from, from her. And so God changes her name to mean princess. And again, you can read all of the rest of Genesis and, and even the rest of the Bible, and you realize, and you realize that that's exactly what happened. In fact, uh, the uh, the families that have been going through our our growing together at home uh, a program uh, last week uh, looked at the the Jesus's uh, family tree there in Matthew chapter one. Usually, not one that you teach kids, and I'll freely admit that that when I saw the curriculum we're using, saying, "Hey, the first week you're studying the genealogy of Jesus," I thought, "Oh, great, here we go. Um, this will be exciting." But you you see that as you you, you look at that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and you, you see it, it starts with, with Abraham, then goes to Isaac, and then you read through the, all that genealogy, and guess what? You hit King David, and then it's Solomon. And then you start seeing all these kings' names of the entire nation of not just Israel, but then when they divided up and became the kingdom of Judah. And ultimately, of course, the New Testament picks this up, that ultimately this is all fulfilled in whom? In Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. 
And again, this is impossible, humanly speaking. She, at this point in time, is 89 years old. And God says, I am God Almighty. I can do the impossible. Just watch and see. So that's God's plan. He changes people's names to, to, to help them understand. This is the plan, Abraham. This is the plan for your, your wife. I know you, 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 what well, Sarai had this other plan with, with Ishmael, you know, that kind of, that, that wasn't my plan. I am going to have, make sure that it is done through Sarah, your, your wife. How does Abraham, what's her, what's his re- response? Initially, he did not respond very well. His first, re- he actually has two responses here. His first response is this, verse 17. Abraham fell on his face, and that that is a sign of of you know respect. The kings, uh, when you enter into a king's presence, you you bow, you you curtsy, you 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 bow to show respect, and that's what Abraham is doing. He's falling on his face in awe and respect of God and worshiping God. But the second part of this didn't go according to you know respect. What does he do? He falls on his face and he laughs. He laughed at God. Probably more underneath his breath. He got him probably like, yeah, whatever, God, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this is happening to us. I'm 99 years old. And you're, and you're, go, and you're promising my wife who's 89 to, to be, this is crazy. He laughed, wondering if this is really possible. But not only does he laugh, and you can kind of see, uh, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old, referring to, you know, he is 99 now, but of course uh, it takes uh, nine months for a child to be born, and so he's, he's adding that year uh, on. The woman who is 90 years old, again, he's adding that, that year on. And then in verse 18, he says, he says this, would you let Ishmael, would you let Ishmael live before you? And so Abraham, his first response is this. He laughed, wondering if this is really possible. And he asked for God's promises to be applied to his son Ishmael. He's saying, God, I already have a son. Ishmael. I know it wasn't, you know, no, it, it, this wasn't your plan. I know we screwed up. But, you know, this plan's ridiculous, God. Let my son Ishmael, let these two promises go through him. We stop there, you think, hey, that's, you know, Abraham, that, that makes sense to us. But that wasn't God's plan. Look at what God says in, in the very next verse, verse 19. God's response says this. No. No. I understand you have a son. And yes, Ishmael is actually now your firstborn son. But I, he is not the one that I'm going to give these promises to. Instead, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And then God goes on and says, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So God says this, if you follow along in the outline there, God says this, no, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. And again, names are important here. Why does God tell Abraham, you are to call your son Isaac? Because Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. Isaac means laughter. 
I had a teacher uh, when I was in uh, high school. Uh, she must. She was a believer in uh, Jesus Christ, and her her um, she went to church. Uh, um, and and that past Sunday, the her pastor made a comment about the uh, this uh, chapter, chapter seventeen, and and uh, reading through this, uh, she comes Monday morning. I walk into her class. It was my algebra two teacher. Walked in my class, and she called me up to her desk. And I thought, oh great, I'm in trouble. I'm not sure what I did, but I'm in trouble. Um, and and all of a sudden, she says, hey. You know what your name means? I said, "Yeah." Do you know what it means? Uh, and she said, "Yeah, I was just reading there in that passage about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Your your name means laughter." And I said, "Yeah." She said, "You have a good sense of humor." I said, oh, "I don't know. I enjoy laughing, I guess." Uh, and uh, she said, "Well, that's good. Your your name equals what your character is, I guess." Uh, so so, it's, but that's what it means: laughter. Isaac means laughter. And why does God, why does God tell Abraham and Sarah to name their son Isaac? Because Abraham laughed at God. The next chapter we're going to see Sarah laughs at God's plan as well. And God is saying, every time you call your son Isaac, every time you call your son Isaac, I want you to be reminded that you thought this thing was nuts. And you laugh in the face of God. No, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. The same uh, uh, verse uh, 19 there, that, that phrase that, you see, that is highlighted up there, uh, is the exact same wording that God gives to Abraham in, in verse 7. I mean, it's the exact same wording all throughout these past several chapters. That this is, that Isaac's going to be the child that these promises are going to go through. Not Ishmael. And God responds and says, you know, Abraham, I understand that you want, you want Ishmael to be blessed and you, and I will make him a great nation. Again, he, uh, God goes on and explains what's going to happen with Ishmael. And God promises that I'll make him a great nation, but, the promise, these two promises that I've given to you, they're going to come through Isaac. Isaac is going to be the one, and his descendants are going to be the one that I will be their God. That I will be calling them into a relationship of walking in obedience with me. It's Isaac and his descendants. So after God kind of explains a little bit more to Abraham what's going to happen with, with Ishmael uh, there in uh, uh, verse 20. I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I'll, I, I will bless him, make him fruitful, and will multiply and exceed me. Exceedingly, he shall have twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. Again, that's Ishmael. And that's exactly what happens. Again, you can read that in Genesis chapter 25, where, where it breaks down. Uh, this is the descendants of Ishmael, and then Ishmael kind of passes off the scene because the focus then shifts to Isaac and his descendants. Verse 21, I will make a covenant established with Isaac and, and so forth. Um, and then all of a sudden, verse 23, we see a second response from Abraham. And this time, the second response is this, obedience, obedience. The first response after God comes and, and he, he kind of laughs at God and says, this is ridiculous. There's no way this is good. This is, this is not possible, humanly speaking. God, let's, let, my, these, let the, these promises go through Ishmael. And God's like, no, 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 no. Sarah 
is going to have a son. And you're going to name him Isaac. And it's Isaac's descendants that will have this covenant and walk before me in this relationship. And so verse 23, after at the end of verse 22, God leaves, the conversation is over. Verse 23 is, is Abraham's response. And what is, how does Abraham respond? That very same day, the very same day, Abraham did as God has told him to do. And what was that? To circumcise. That outward, as we talked about last week, that outward symbol of that inward reality that you are entering into that relationship with God. The very same day. As soon as, as, soon as um, God left, Abraham got all the males of his entire household, and you can see that. He, his son Ishmael, all who were born in his house, all who were bought with the money, every single male in his entire household, he, he got together and said, this is what God has told me, this is what we need to do, and they were circumcised on that very same day that God spoke that obedience. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old, when this happened, Ishmael was 13 years old when this happened. And again, verse 26, that very same day, and when God was having this conversation with Abraham, that very same day, Abraham obeyed God. God comes and tells Abraham, this is my plan. And as you enter into this relationship with me, this is this out, outward symbol that this is going to happen. And Abraham walks in obedience to God. You see, Abraham trusted in God. Abraham trusted in God. You know, all throughout this time, we, we have seen, you know, that the Abraham has some, uh, some good times in his life where he's walking in obedience to God, and then he has some boneheaded times in his life where you, you kind of, as a reader, you kind of feel like you're being pulled back and forth, and you're thinking, man, he, he's walking in obedience to God. This is fantastic. And then the next chapter, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's doing this because, because the God, God does, the God's promises and, and so forth. But all of a sudden now we see, and in Genesis 15 and here in 17, we see this where Abraham is trusting in God. And how do we know? How do we know that Abraham's faith and trust is in God and in his promises because of this? His faith and his trust was shown through his obedience. Abraham trusted in God and his faith was shown through his obedience to God's instructions. If Abraham wasn't trusting in God, if Abraham was still in his heart laughing at God, thinking, God, this is ridiculous. I can't believe these promises. I can't believe you're going to do this to Sarah. This is ridiculous, God. Abraham wouldn't have done what God told him to do. But it's because of his actions. It's because of doing it, again, he didn't wait for, for a week. He didn't wait for two weeks. He did it that very day. He responded in obedience to God. It's because of his actions that we can see that he trusted in God. His actions proved that he was trusting, that his faith was in God. Do you realize the same is true in our lives today? How we live our lives, our daily lives, shows our, what we're trusting in or who we're trusting in. 
And that's exactly what James, and James uh, in the New Testament now, New Testament book, one of these uh, passages of scriptures that in some ways is, is, is misunderstood with you just kind of pluck it out of context. In fact, uh, Martin Luther kind of had to wrestle with these, these passages in James and, and he didn't like James because of how he came out of his, uh, his background of, of understanding of, of, he came out of the, the Catholic background where it was really works based. That you could earn your salvation, and that's not what James is talking about here. He's talking. Let's read it, and I'll and I'll. And is is basically is James is saying the same thing. What happened to Abraham? That we prove who we're trusting in. We prove our our faith and our trust in God by how we live our lives, what we do. Verse eighteen. But someone will say, "You have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." In other words. We put this in more modern English. We can say, you know, someone will say, "Hey, I'm trusting in Jesus. I have a, I'm a follower of Jesus." Verse 19. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble. In fact, in some ways. The demons know that there is a God better than we do. Because they were in the very presence of God before they rebelled. James continues in verse 20. But you do want, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? If someone says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. And they, and it doesn't affect how they live their life according to James here. What does he say? Your faith is what? Dead. And here he comes with Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by the works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? And we'll get to that eventually, what happens with that whole conversation. But we could rewrite that and apply what was happening. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he obeyed God and circumcised his entire, every single male in his household? The works didn't justify him, but because that was an outward expression of his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he walked in obedience to God. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God. This is from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham put his faith and trust in God in these promises. And it was credited to him or accounted to him as righteous, God declared him righteous. That salvation moment of Abraham in Genesis 15. Why? Because of his faith, his trust in God. He was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified, and this is what the verse that Martin Luther wrestled with. For so many years. 
that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Jesus says the same thing. We will know the, the tree, if it's a good tree, how? By their fruit. By how the person lives their life. Abraham trusted in God. His faith was shown through his obedience to God's instructions. We as followers of Jesus Christ, it's the same way. The salvation, our trust that, that, that God has given us, this great gift of salvation, this new life that God has given us, it transforms our lives, it changes our lives. It, everything about us is totally different and that overflows into how we live our daily life. Our priorities are different. Our, our, our thinking is different. Our talking is different. Everything about us is different because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. Abraham trusted in God. And his faith was shown through his obedience. Let me ask you this question this morning. Who are you trusting in? Is your faith, is your trust in, number one, in that great gift of salvation? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in Him for that gift of salvation? Are you trusting in Him in your daily life? Are you walking in obedience to Him? Is, is, is His Spirit working in your life, changing your life, transforming the way you're thinking, transforming the way you view life? Or are you going about things but there's no change? And again, James says, if there's not a change, if the, your faith in Jesus Christ isn't affecting the way how you're living your life, then something is wrong. Something's wrong. Abraham is that great example that God comes to him, tells him some crazy things. And Abraham trusted in God. And how do we know? Because his obedience. And God calls us the same way. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust in his promises. We can trust in that great gift of salvation. He gives us his spirit. And he transforms our lives. And we are never to be the same again. As we close in, in, uh, in prayer before we sing our, our final hymn, I want you to ask yourself that, that question. Number one, who are you trusting in? Is your faith, is your trust there in God and in God alone? Or have you come to that place where you understand that you need God in your life and that you need Him as your Savior? 
And I would encourage you, if that's you, then then cry out to God and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in You. I, I, I want to walk in a life that is honoring and pleasing to You. But maybe you, you, you are that, a follower of God and, and you, you've come to that kind of conclusion that you need God in your life. And, and maybe there's, there's, you know, things that, the, as, as Hebrews says, those, those sins that can easily trip us up. Maybe we need that time this morning to pause and say, God, forgive us. Forgive us for not walking in obedience to you. Forgive us for not for going after things that don't satisfy. Forgive us. Help me to come back and to be like Abraham here and to trust in You and to walk in obedience to You each and every day. We have a few moments of silent prayer. And then before we sing our final hymn, let's pray.